It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we're going to be taking a close look at some of the events that will be shaping investment decisions in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. This week, that means we're going to be taking a preview of a forthcoming summit in Saudi Arabia as the kingdom finally looks beyond oil riches and where British companies are going to be keen to participate. And we'll be finding out what this... ...has to do with Debenhams. There is a link, I promise you. I'm joined by Deirdre Hipwell, Martin Waller and Tom Knowles. Welcome to you all and thanks for being here. Deirdre, I'm going to start with you. The Times Business section has started a comprehensive series on Saudi Arabia and obviously oil. But perhaps more importantly, this is leading up to a big gathering uh, in the Saudi capital. To set the scene on the global oil market, we have a clip here from His Excellency Mohammed Bakindu. He's the OPEC Secretary General talking about the outlook for oil just a few days ago. As we have all learned from previous price cycles, such pronounced and long-term declines in investments are a serious threat to future supply. But given our projected future demand for oil, with our upcoming world oil outlook 2017, expecting demand to reach over 111 million barrels a day by 2040, an increase of almost 16 million barrels a day, the world simply cannot afford a supply crunch. Well, that was the OPEC Secretary General there. Uh, Deirdre, you're going to this conference. Just explain a little bit about it and, and, and uh, why it's important to us all, really. Well, Saudi Arabia has is in the process of launching this vision called Vision 2030. Um, it's an initiative where they're trying to find ways to diversify the kingdom's economy. So they want to reduce its reliance on its oil industry. There's going to be some privatization of state-owned assets. And they basically want to drive the next wave of business and innovation and investment. And um, the blueprint kind of sets out a plan where Saudi Arabia believes that it's in a unique uh, strategic location and that it can use its sovereign wealth and its investment expertise to attract more foreign direct investment. And the stated aim of the conference is that Saudi Arabia wants to become a global investment hub connecting the three continents. But what's interesting about this is you have some of the world's top CEOs, economists, advisors, bankers, investors, Christine Lagarde, 
from the IMF is going to be this, uh, Steve Mnuchin from you know the U- United States. That's right. Nicholas Sarkozy is going to be there. And then you've got, you know, Richard Branson, Stuart Gulliver, the boss of HSBC. It really is a who's who of global business. And that's, I think, because Saudi Arabia over the coming years, if they do go ahead with all of these plans to kind of create new industries, build infrastructure, it could be one of the most important areas for the financial community to look at and for investors because it could be, you know, potentially rich rewards to be made there. Martin, if I could bring you in here, we've got uh, obviously the Saudi Aramco possible flotation, London, New York, or maybe private investment. I mean, first you and then perhaps Deirdre, your view, is this key to kickstarting the vision for 2030, having the Saudi Aramco, you've banked billions and therefore you can afford to spend as Deirdre said, to diversify. Is that how important it is, or are there other ways it can do it? I'm afraid I tend to take the view that it might have been an idea to start this process in around 1973 with the oil price shock. They have wasted an awful lot of time. Uh, they have very good demographic reasons why they very badly need to, to, to bring in new cash. They're running out of money because of the oil price, and they have a demographic problem with a large unemployed youth base. Um, they have a hugely expensive social welfare programs and it's quite difficult to fund. Um, as to Asadi Aramco, it, it, it'd be interesting to know if anyone from the Western side, the Western delegation, actually has the, uh, put it, lack of grace to mention the subject. Um, it looks very much like it won't go to London or New York. The whole thing has turned into massive political football. Um, some of us are extremely dubious about whether a company of that sort, which is which would be majority owned, by, hugely majority owned by the Saudi government with the usual problems of corporate governance, should even be allowed on the London market. Most corporate governance experts generally think it's a bad thing um, and it's seemed to be being shoehorned um, onto London just for the sake of the of fat bankers' fees. Some of us don't like that very much. It will be, I'd say, be interesting to know whether anyone has the general bad taste or, or, or lack of tact to mention the subject. It will certainly be the element in the room. But looking, I mean, assuming that obviously Saudi Aramco in some way they're going to have to raise the money, but this is money that they will be looking to spend on projects, as you say, to diversify well away from perhaps even energy, becoming conference hubs or, or whatever it is, service industries. That That's going to go ahead anyway, isn't it? It's got to go ahead. Absolutely. I mean, this conference is being hosted by the Public Investment Fund, which is one of their sovereign wealth funds that is set up to kind of pursue projects that are in the national strategic interest of Saudi Arabia. So they've already been responsible for some initiatives in um, energy, electrical generation, refineries. Uh, So that's um, they're already going down this path and they want to invest in this path. So that's what they're going to be doing. But as to Martin's point, I mean, I'm sure Saudi Aramco will be, uh, maybe if not in in the plenary sessions, it'll certainly be discussed on the sidelines of the conference. Because for a start, if you look at some of the speakers and the guest list, you've got pretty senior ranking officials from the New York Stock Exchange, Euronext, London uh, attending. And what's interesting too is we're still not 100% sure if, if it won't go ahead the float because they're kind of keeping their powder dry. And there was a oil conference this week in London where pretty senior Saudi officials speaking on the sidelines said that they were considering all options and that an IPO could still be on the cards. But obviously that is potentially what most people who are attending Riyadh next week are probably the most interested to find out about. On the other hand, the latest reports do tend to suggest that it won't be a float, it'll be a sale to uh, the Chinese of the 5% stake, which would have the same effect for the Saudis who are bringing the money and they'd have it to invest. 
Well, that's, um, a, that, that's a result for them anyway. Tom, can I bring you in here at the moment? Presumably, having all these assets from an economic point of view, I mean, it's a sort of... Uh, problem that um, Philip Hammond would love to have, wouldn't it? Lots of juicy state assets to privatise and, and slim down. Does it always work, though, when sovereign funds or countries get involved in investment, or is it better left to the private sector? I don't know. I mean, you can look at a lot of very successful sovereign wealth funds that have certainly come over to the UK and and, and uh, done very well. I mean, uh, look at Norway that owns half of London now. I mean, you walk down Regent Street and most of the buildings are owned by Norges and um, the Qataris too. I mean, Saudi Arabia doesn't have to look very far to find an incredibly successful sovereign wealth fund that um, just seems to be expanding all over the world. Uh, I mean, so I'm sure Philip Hammond would be delighted to have something like this. The big issue for Saudi Arabia, though, and uh, it's something that they will have to address, if they want all this foreign direct investment, if they want global expertise to help them achieve the same, they're going to have to make it acceptable and attractive to people to come to Saudi Arabia because there, there will be a lot of expertise that they need. And we had the uh, CEO of Goldman Sachs saying that just a few weeks ago, saying that Saudi Arabia needs to transform their economy. They need to push the button on this 2030 initiative. But if you want to have like a global financial hub or a technology hub and you need to attract people from all over the world, you're going to have to make it attractive for them. There, there have to be places for them to live. And I think that could be the real challenge for Saudi Arabia, because let's not forget, it is one of the most conservative countries in the world. And I think that is going to be a real challenge for them to address going forward. Because you didn't, you have to get a proper work. You can't go in on a tourist visa, can you? Is it, is no, I think... Um, I could be wrong, but I think I'm not. I think there was a brief period for a while where Saudi Arabia granted tourist visas, but you normally have to be invited by an entity or, or a company or you're going there because you're going for the Hajj pilgrimage. So it, it is quite still, um, you know, it would face some challenge in that in that regard. I mean, obviously, you know, within the centre, they have diplomatic quarters and that. And around the Red Sea, that's going to be a big focus for Saudi Arabia because they have beautiful coastlines around the Red Sea and they want to create uh, some resorts where tourists could visit. And in fact, Richard Branson is investing in one of these resorts. But those would be areas where you would be able to visit. So I think Saudi Arabia is actually going through quite a transformative period, potentially, but how that will play out given... The cultural makeup of the country will be very interesting. All right. Well, you'll be there, so you'll be able to report on it for us. And uh, we'll leave that there for the moment. Uh, do remember to read Deirdre's reports from the conference and catching up online uh, and on Twitter, of course. Now, there are a number of retail companies reporting in the coming days. Uh, and one of the standout ones is going to be Debenhams and the link between the chanting football crowd and the famous department store is Mike Ashley. He's the owner of the now-for-sale Newcastle United Football Club, and his sports direct company has a quite a sizable stake in Debenhams. Deirdre, why has he got a stake in Debenhams, do we know? And what can he expect from his investment when we hear them uh, unveil their figures? Um, well, we don't know exactly why he he has a stake in Debenhams, because he's never actually said, I mean, Mike Ashley is not one to, you know, lay all his cards out on the table for the city to read. But... Um, Debenhams is just one of a number of retailers where he has either a stake or he's done some sort of put option, basically like a complicated bet. Uh, he has stakes in French Connection. He has a holding in Findel. He has holdings in the US. 
And looking at it just on a basic level, it could just be he's simply taking a punt that the share price will rise and he can make a profit on that like any other investor. But with Debenhams, it's a little bit more intriguing because Sports Direct also has a commercial tie-up with them where Sports Direct has some concessions in the department stores. And there's a big question mark as to how successful those are, given that about two weeks ago, Sports Direct closed four of the nine concessions, including the one that they had in the Oxford Street store. They've said it was because of overlap with stores that they're about to open, which might be true, but one would think that it also would indicate that those concessions are not doing very well. So I don't know if that answers your question, but basically you never really know with Mike Ashley, but at heart, he's a gambler. I mean, we only have to remember him taking out a big wad of 50 pound notes when he was taking... You were there, weren't you? I was. I saw it in person. So I think, you know, he just has um, quite a diverse appetite for different investments. You have better theatre with with yours. When I try going to the AGM, they they refuse to let journalists in and it got to the point where we, there was three of us there who had made the long journey to Shirebrook and, and, we're, and we're essentially banging on the door begging them to let us in and we right at the end they decided to let us in and uh, we were very much frowned upon for being there so it's know. well he's had to change I mean for years he would show up at the AGM and be there for about one and a half minutes at the most and he would arrive in his helicopter and then leave and he wouldn't say a word even when shareholders asked him direct questions he would sit on the stage and not say a word but of course He's kind of had to really, he's kind of had to step up to defend the company after just one scandal after another relating to working practices and appearing before MPs. And of course, he's now actually running the the business since Dave Forsey, someone he referred to as his right-hand man, resigned, presumably after all the stress of dealing with Sports Direct over the last three years. Yes, from an investment point of view, I've always taken the view that uh, you, with Sports, Sports Direct, you, you're brilliant, like actually, you know what you're getting. Uh, poor corporate governance um, and a, an overbearing majority or near majority shareholder. Um, and frankly, you, as an investment point of view, you have to put up with it. I, I personally wouldn't go near the shares because I'm not at all, at all happy about that sort of arrangement. As to Debenhams, um, I mean, Debenhams have done a fantastic job in turning themselves around in terms of refocusing the business and not actually selling quite so much stuff on, 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 on discount. But the fact is they are, along with all the others, exposed to UK consumer spending, which is already beginning to look a bit a bit feeble and a bit weak. And we all know that if your, your wages are not going up as far as inflation, you haven't got money to spend, and the sort of place you're not, not going to spend it is Debenhams. Yeah, uh, retail sales in September fell 0.8% uh, against the, the previous month, which dragged down the quarterly annual growth figure to the lowest since 2013. And department stores were one of the hardest hit. Um, sales dropped about 1.1% on the month. And I thought this is going to be a real dilemma for retailers going into Christmas. Obviously, the, the cost of living is is rapidly rising for households, uh, You know, with inflation creeping up to a five-year high of 3%. But at the same time, retailers are having their own costs that they're having to deal with imports have shot up uh national minimum wage has hurt them quite badly uh so and and they're in intense competition with others so i think going into christmas it's going to be a real decision of whether they push up prices or or manage to wait out till december january time before upping prices a bit further again yes i think we have a great deal of amusement when we see the christmas uh, sales results in january it's always rather fraught period for the industry i think this year we've saying it for a long time to be fair but this year it could be really really quite dire as to department stores well i mean it's hard to see an area more exposed 
to competition from uh, anyone from Tesco flogging cheap clothes and cutlery and footwear and whatever uh, to online. And they really are in the middle. All right. Well, let's move on to something just a little more soothing, finally. There's nothing nicer than waking from a great night's sleep. From the warm burrow of a luxury king-size hypnos bed. shooting a commercial. What for? Premier Inn? Yes, for Premier Inn. With free Wi-Fi now throughout your stay, at Premier Inn you can always be connected. I'm not sure I always want to be connected. Anyway, that was Selene Henry turning in for a good night kip at Premier Inn, which of course means we'll be hearing from its owner, Whitbread, which also looks after Costa Coffee. Uh, Martin, I'm going to start with you on this one. Uh, I remember Whitbread as an old-fashioned investment trust. It's changed a bit, hasn't it? It was an old-fashioned brewer and pub in my day. Old, old Sam Whitbread, and everyone who ran it was called Whitbread for some peculiar reason, and um, they tended to own the pubs where they sold the beer, um, and it was quite a nice life at the time, but nowadays Premier Inn and Costa Coffee never quite worked out how the two bolted together. It's one of those strange businesses that has two parts, and you can't quite see the logic, plus restaurants on the site, which tends to serve the hotels. A lot of us have said that the logic would be to split Costa Coffee and Premier Inn into different businesses and probably get a better multiple on the market. Um, I think that's probably a bit too late for that. It could have probably been done last year. Nowadays, I mean, it's difficult to think of an area more prone to that slowdown in consumer spending we're talking about than the £3.50 cup of coffee or the overnight stay. £3.50 sounds a very poncy cup of coffee to me. I mean, Martin has a point there, hasn't he? I mean, these are brands that people know and actually trust, aren't they? Premier in, not just because of Lenny Henry and much loved, but because people use them all the time. They're reasonable. You know what you're getting. That's not a bad thing in today's climate, is it? No, not at all. And given my own coffee buying habits, that's the one thing that tends to stay. Both, yeah. I'd rather give up something else than give up my coffee. I mean, it, it really depends. At the moment, it, it feels like there's no rhyme or reason to what's happening with consumer spending habits because you have some brands and some retailers that are doing incredibly well, like ASOS this week, which had you know pretty strong figures, and then you have others which are just not coping at all. Um, so I think the problem that retailers face is the way people shop and what they want to spend their money on is not only changing all the time, but it's incredibly fickle. Um, so I actually think someone like a cost coffee, I actually think could be okay. Um, but I think Martin's point on department stores, I think is, is they are the ones facing the biggest challenge and we're seeing it now. They're all trying to find ways to convince us to come and shop at a department store. If I had to sum them up, I think John Lewis is probably doing the best in terms of creating experiences where you want to come into the stores. Debenhams has done a good job, but we'll see next week when they report their full year results just how good a job. And then House of Fraser, which of course is, has got a new CEO. It's got a Chinese owner who's quite volatile by all accounts. So I don't know. It's it's interesting times ahead. I think, as Martin says, January could be very, very interesting. Talking of John Lewis, you will be depressed or elated, depending on your preferences. Uh, the, the John Lewis advert, I think, is coming out on the 9th of November. Uh, so Times to be a retail reporter. Christmas yeah. ads. Sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that the world seemed to have gone mad when we were actually giving publicity to advertisers and advertisements that would normally pay for such. But there we are. 
But they're part of our £89 billion creative industries. So there we are. It's a good note to end on and uh, an ad to look forward to, Martin. I'll make sure I send you a link to that one. Uh, well, that's it for now. But uh, remember, you can keep up to date, especially with the conference uh, in Saudi Arabia with Deirdre and results. We've got Magnus uh, Makers, CNC, and we've also got those companies we talked about, along with Bloomsbury Publishing. You can get all that and all the other information you need and analysis uh, online on your tablets and on your phone. If you want to become a subscriber and you aren't already, then please just go to thetimes.co.uk and you can also sign up for our morning and lunchtime business bulletins if you want to hear us weekly here on the podcast you can subscribe through itunes do feel free to post your comments we'd like to hear from you and my thanks as always to deirdre hipwell martin waller and tom knowles they're all on twitter as am i actually so do follow them if not me my thanks to them again and uh thank you for listening please join us again next week When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.